0: Last Sunday, we reflected on the relationships of remembering, and we want to tie that notion of remembering to today and the relations of rejoicing. And what better way to do that than remembering that today is Reformation Sunday? Reformation Day is actually on Halloween, but Reformation Sunday for us in the church is celebrated the Sunday prior to Halloween, and then All Saints Day is the day after Halloween, November 1st, but we celebrate it liturgically on the first Sunday after that, which is, of course, next Sunday, November 3rd. Reformation is a time back in the 16th century when Martin Luther and a few others began to let loose God's spirit in a way that had theretofore never been known in the church. Up until 1517, it was just the Catholic Church. And it remained that way for a while, but things started bubbling up. Truth started becoming expressed in ways that nobody could foresee. Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany on on October 31st in 1517. His biggest beef with the church and he wanted to re- it's called the reformation because he wanted to reform the church from within. He didn't want to start a new church. He just wanted to reform it. But his biggest struggle with the Catholic Church was the sale of indulgences. Back then, the whole notion of purgatory was a big deal. And um the Catholic Church would sell you what were called indulgences that would kind of give you a pass on all your sins so that you could just go right by purgatory and right to heaven. Well, who do you think could afford to buy indulgences? The wealthy, right? The world has kind of been rigged that way for a long time. Still continues to be. But anyways, that's what Luther was concerned about. And over time, as he began to express himself and his notions about that and other things, the Catholic Church and the powers that be in the hierarchical system didn't like that, and they kept trying to tamp it down. But what happens to truth when it's when it's expressed? It just finds ways to get out, and that's what happened. And eventually, they tried to squelch Martin Luther, and he wouldn't do it, so they fi- they excommunicated him and he had to leave the church. And so, what started as a reform movement, the Reformation, became a protest against the church and hence we're called Protestants because of that protest movement against the church. And then things began to just explode in terms of different perspectives because people started thinking for themselves instead of being told how to believe and what to believe. And we honor and celebrate and rejoice in the priesthood of all believers because each one of you has your own relationship with God and you don't need an Intermediary, you don't need somebody, a priest, between you and God. You don't need me, you don't need Michael. You have a direct pipeline to God. And that's the beauty of our Reformed and Protestant faith. So, we have a lot to rejoice in, a lot to celebrate. And that brings us to today, the relations of rejoicing. And before I go any further, I want to just say a quick note to those who are guests and visitors today. Some of this sermon doesn't apply to you because it's going to be about our stewardship season of which we're a part, and that's the encouragement for our members to support the church through our pledges and gifts. But for those of you who are guests and visitors, uh, that portion does not apply directly to you. So the relations of remembering, it's a wonderful thing to celebrate because the the relations of rejoicing, because where do we think of starting with our relations and rejoicing? Well, we think of our relations, our immediate relations. We think of our families, right? We think of those with whom we spend the most time, those with whom we're closest. And that's, that's how we think of rejoicing. When a child is born in a family, be it a, an actual child or a niece or a nephew, there's great rejoicing. And then after that come birthdays and other celebrations, and we rejoice and celebrate those. So there's so much to rejoice about in families. But as we think about life in America in the last generation or two, we've become much more mobile and, and uh, well, people just don't live as close to their immediate family as we once did. Some do, but, but many people are very scattered across the country. And the unfortunate thing is, is that for many, the only times they get together is when there's a special celebration, like a baptism or a wedding or a funeral. And that's when families get together. Uh, even a funeral, though, is a celebration of life. So it's a celebration. There can be rejoicing even in the midst of that sadness. And then we think of our relations of rejoicing with friends. We have people that we're close to, friends that we like to spend time with, and so we have dinner parties. We have other occasions when we get together and we celebrate life as friends, and that's a wonderful thing. And then we have our relationship to Christ. You wouldn't be here today if you didn't have, if you weren't on some kind of a journey, some kind of a quest in your life with Christ, you wouldn't be here. But you are. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, Paul says, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And that's what we're here to do today. We rejoice in our relationship with Christ. And then we have our relations in the church. Something we can rejoice in, at least most of the time. Um, We rejoice in our relationships with each other. And the beauty of the church is we're called together, just like in a family. You don't get to choose who your family members are, right? You're born into a family. You may have crazy Uncle Joe or, uh, you know, weird Aunt Marianna or whatever. Uh, I had a weird Aunt Marianna, by the way. Um, but I loved her. And uh, we don't get to choose those relations. Same in the church when we, we get to choose coming into the church. But after we join, we don't get to choose who the other people in the church are. We may like some others better than others. That's okay. That's the way it's supposed to be. But we're still, we can rejoice in the fact that we're all in this together. And that's a beautiful thing. And in the church, we have children. That gives us cause for rejoicing. When the children's choir sings, that gives us smiles. When we see the kids in the church school or vacation Bible camp or whatever, our youth groups, we have occasion to rejoice in that. So there's, there's lots of relations to rejoice in in life. And one of the things about our relations with Christ and the church is giving. Because when you are grateful, you're inclined to rejoice, and give thanks, and in the church, we're called to give, to share. A teacher approached a young student and said, if you had two apples, and I asked for one, how many would you have? And he said, two. <laughs> now that's not a mistake in mathematics. It's mistaken attitude toward sharing. He thought sharing was an option. But in the Christian church, sharing is not an option. It's part of who we're called to be. If you don't want to share at all in your life with others besides yourself, you're in the wrong place this morning. You're in the wrong place. Because the church calls us, as part of our identity, to share. Back in 1976, you may have heard this story about the Special Olympics, but in Spokane, Washington, there was a hundred-yard dash for the Special Olympics, you know, the the kids that have different disabilities. And they got up, a group of them, at the, at the starting line, and they were all excited at the starting line of the 100-yard dash. And they took off, and one of the young boys fell on the asphalt and tumbled a couple of times and began crying. Well, a couple of the other kids saw it, and they turned back, and instead of going on and finishing the race, They went back and comforted him. They picked him up, they locked arms, and they walked together across the finish line. Do you know that the people in the audience that day stood and gave a 10-minute standing ovation? Those kids knew something about life, that finishing the race first, getting to the finish line first, isn't always the most important thing that sometimes we have to recognize that we're in this together. That we're in this together. And and that's what Paul talked about in the passage about when one member suffers, we all suffer together. And when one member rejoices, we all rejoice together. Those kids knew a deep truth about life. That it isn't just about accumulating as much as I can because, you know, that, so much of our culture tells us to get ahead and to think only of number one. To make as much money as you can, to accumulate as much money as you can, and to hold on to as much money as you can. But that's not what our Christian faith teaches. Our Christian faith teaches us that we're all in this together. We're in a partnership where we care for one another, where we provide for one another. And that's what giving to the church through our annual pledge campaign is about. We support each other. When you make a gift to the church, yes, it keeps the lights on. And yes, it pays for maintenance. But more than that, it pays for what we can do and be together as a congregation and how we can support each other and also support those around us in the wider world. And that makes a difference. That truly makes a difference. And the biblical standard is the tithe. And I know that scares the bejeebies out of most people. A tithe, if you don't know what it is, is 10%. And uh, most people just get this glazed over look on their face when you talk about a tithe. Um, All I can say is um, I've been doing this for a long, long time. And I know a lot of people who back to that first idea who hoard and think that that it's theirs and some of the least happy people i know are people who only care about hoarding and keeping things to themselves and some of the most joyful happy fulfilled people i know are some of the most giving people people who give even I know people who give more than 10%. And they are some of the most happy, joyful people. Unless you've tried it, you won't know it, but it's a spiritual principle. The more you give, the happier you'll be. The more you give, the more you live. That's just the way it is. It, it doesn't fit with a lot of the ways of the world, but it is God's nature. Think about Jesus. He didn't just stop with a little bit. He was always giving of Himself to others. People who needed help, people who needed healing, people who needed feeding. Whatever they needed, He tried to meet that need. And ultimately, He gave His life. And if you look at God, God's nature is to give. We're here because God has given us life in this beautiful world to be a part of. God's nature is to give. And if we're part of God's nature, then our nature is to give. So I never say, give till it hurts give till it feels better. Give till it feels better. And when you do, you will be letting God's Spirit flow through you to help and care for others around you. And that's a gift. And that's part of the relations of rejoicing. So, I just want to encourage you and invite you to participate in that. We're not here to tell anybody what you have to give. That's not the kind of church we are. We're not going to sit down with you and say, okay, tell us how much you make. and all. Some churches do that. They have individual sessions with people, and they, they, get, they get all the, their worth and their income and everything, and then they tell them, this is what you need to give to the church. We don't do that. What you give is between you and God. We just want to encourage you to think about giving in a joyful way, because the more you give, the more you truly live. So let's celebrate today in the relations of rejoicing, which is our opportunity to give.